It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we have actual football to talk about. The Cincinnati Bengals, well, they almost won the game in Seattle. They almost stole one. Andy Dalton drops to 5-1 and one in West Coast games, and Seattle improves under Pete Carroll to pretty much never losing in their home openers. We'll get into all that and more on this episode of Lockdown Bengals, getting into some details and talking about just why they lost the game that They, by most measures, dominated. They lost the turnover battle, and that was a big part of the reason they lost the game. So let's get into our lead story. Your Locked On Bengals lead story today is the Cincinnati Bengals losing to the Seattle Seahawks 21-20 on the road. I'm Jake Lisko, along with Joe Goodberry. This was a game that I think all Bengals fans agree. The Bengals dominated. They outgained the Seahawks by hundreds of yards, But they didn't win the turnover battle. They missed a field goal. They missed a fourth down conversion. And that adds up, along with a bad unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Dre Kirkpatrick, to losing the game in Seattle. Yeah, it's just those close plays, those close decisions where you say, well, we could punt it, we can go for it, we can throw an aggressive pass on third down. The Bengals seem to cower in those situations during this game, settling for field goal attempts rather than trying to push the ball downfield and gain more yardage and points. And I think at the end, it just ended up costing them too much. There was a good mix of going for it on fourth down and seeing some interesting play calling, including a flea flicker on a jet sweep motion that led to a wheel route. That was a touchdown for John Ross early in the game. Didn't have that one on my bingo card as I tweeted. But the Bengals outgained the Seahawks, as I mentioned, 429 to 233. Andy Dalton threw 51 passes. The Bengals did not run the ball that much, and we thought that was going to be an emphasis. They just couldn't get it going today. They only ran the ball 14 times and averaged 2.5 yards per rush. Yeah, you say uh, they had 429 yards on offense. Andy Dalton had 418 passing yards on 35 of 51 attempts with two touchdowns. Uh, technically two turnovers as both were called fumbles, one at the very end of the game and one in the Seahawks territory as the ball seemingly slipped out of Andy Dalton's hand into the air. Yeah, the first one's a bit of a fluke. I called it a John Kitna play. It's not something that we've seen from Andy Dalton in the past, you know, John Kitna because he had small hands. But Dalton just has the ball slip out at an inopportune time when the rain's coming down. The rain then clears up right away. But the rain really did affect the Bengals for that part of the game. They got conservative running the ball with Giovanni Bernard on a third and eight. 
And then the weather cleared up and the Bengals seemed to get roughly back on track on offense. Moved the ball pretty well, I think, between the 20s. Had some issues once they got into Seattle territory, especially around the 40 and in the red zone, especially, they had some issues. The fumble at the end of the game was clearly not a fumble. I don't know how that was upheld. And I almost wish they would have called the head-to-head hit on Andy Dalton there uh, just to make it interesting, give the Bengals 15 free yards, give them one play to get into field goal range. Yeah, to get the game so close, they got big games out of John Ross to an extent. It's kind of hard to say, right? He had a couple of very bad drops, not just to start the game, but directly in front of both of his touchdown plays, he had bad drops. It's a swing and miss. It's a, He's a home runner strikeout guy, and he seems to bounce back in miraculous ways, catching seven balls, 158 yards, and two touchdowns on the day. The other turnover that we haven't talked about, or turnovers we haven't talked about, one was a turnover on downs when the Bengals tried to go for it on a fourth and one and came up short on a Gio Bernard run. The other was a missed field goal. We're counting that as a turnover because it's within 50 yards. It was a 45-yard kick. The bullet pulled badly left. And the other one was an Alex Erickson fumble. There were already flags on the play. Erickson just got sloppy with his ball security, put it on the ground. The Bengals lost the game in part because of all of those turnovers. Yes, that's right. And the NFL today, it's about five points per turnover is the swing. And through the first half of the game, the Seahawks weren't capitalizing on those directly. What it was doing was flipping the field and giving Seattle a good field position when really before that, I felt like the Bengals not only were dominating the game, but they were controlling the field position battle. And every time they got the ball, were in position to put up points on the board until these until the Erickson fumble happened, until they went for it a couple times in Seattle territory and were unable to come away with points. Yeah. I think Erickson had a terrible game as a punt returner. I'm just going to put that out there. I think he made some fair catches where he shouldn't have. He let a ball bounce that he should have caught, and he put the ball on the ground. We have talked on this podcast about the fact that he's a great kickoff return man and not as good as a punt returner, but hey, it is what it is. Let's talk about the defense a little bit here. The defensive line balled out. Sam Hubbard had two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and ESPN credits him with four more quarterback hits. He was all over the place. Carlos Dunlap also had a good game. Geno Atkins flashed a few times. And we saw that 3-4 base defense, or 5-2, whatever you want to call it, with five defensive linemen out there. Yeah, we did it. For the first time, it looked like a multiple defense. Coaches and teams will talk about they want to be multiple. The Bengals really were, and I think it had an effect on on the Seattle offense. I think the cat's out of the bag now. We'll see how they continue with it and scheme with it as the season goes along. But for game number one, they had a fantastic performance. And for the linebackers, you know, they tried to they tried to hide the offensive line on on when they had the ball on that side. The linebackers, we were worried about being exposed in this game. They were not at all. In fact, they flashed a bunch. Preston Brown had a forced fumble. Nick Vigil had a bunch of really nice tackles. We'll get into the game in full in the rest of the podcast. This has been your Cincinnati Bengals lead story from Jake Lisko and Joe Goodberry of Locked on Bengals. Now let's take a moment to recognize our first sponsor of the episode, and that's Vivid Seats. Perhaps you've heard of them. They're an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing you tickets to... Live experiences, it could be at a concert, it could be at a sporting event, which is probably what we're talking about here as Bengals fans, or it could be at the theater, who knows? They have great prices and it's easy to buy tickets on the app, and you can get 10% to 60% credit on all purchases if you use the app for the month of August. So make sure you go to the app store and look up Vivid Seats app. 
fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. And they have a promo code. Enter KICKOFF at the checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. I'll take a $100 discount. Me too. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of you, your favorite football team, what you wear to the playoff watch party, that song that you stream over and over to get you pumped up for the gym, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are best to listen to on a long road trip, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you. And the ability to choose the plan you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Lockdown Bengals podcast reacting for the first time a real Bengals football game. First time under Zach Taylor, too, which I think is going to probably dominate most of the discussion after this game. I think all around between fans and analysts and writers. Uh, I think we should start there. I think there was a lot of plays where I was second-guessing at the moment. And remember, this is his first time calling plays. I thought the play calling was fine. I thought it was really good. I thought some of the game management, some of the decisions, and maybe it was because of the rain was an opportune times. Maybe it's because Joe Mixon went down. Maybe it's because you know the old line isn't great. But there were some conservative calls and decisions that I thought ultimately made this game much harder for the Bengals than it needed to be. So what are those conservative calls that we want to point out here? One of them is the third and goal from the 11 or whatever. They throw a screen yep. to John Ross. That's giving up and taking a field goal. I understood that one at the time because the Bengals had left so many points on the field to that point. Getting it to a one-point game with seven minutes left the way the defense has been playing. Seattle was terrible on offense yep. in this game. We've talked about it. They had a total of, what, 230 yards? They were right. three Nothing. and out more often than not. So I didn't mind that one. There was a couple other ones too. The, the third and eight run to Geo that goes for four yards in the rain. What else stood yep. out to you? Well, and that one. And then, so you're settling for the field goal in both of those situations. First of all, so I don't like the third down call. And then I don't like the fourth down call in either one of those. So I might, maybe I'm counting it twice, but in my mind, you know, if you're going to run it on third down, especially the Geo one, I thought, okay, they're setting up to go for it on fourth down. And they didn't. Um, so, I, you know, I came away from that. Well, I, you know, I don't like the decision right away. Fans, we don't trust Bullock more than I feel the coaches and some writers do. But he shanked it and we go, OK, of course he did, because none of us trust him at that distance. So I think that and then at the end of the game also punting with about four minutes left. Yeah, you have two timeouts, but you're saying at that point and. You're saying basically the defense, you cannot give up a first down. If you give up a first down, even with our timeouts. This game's over or we're going to get it back with less than a minute left. They ended up getting it back with 22 seconds left. I just don't – I think when you look at the analytics side of it, punting or mi- or missing field goals is so big. It's not worth the points you you feel like you're losing rather than going forward on one more play. The conversion rate on that, the chance that, uh, that you're going to recover or, or gain the, the yards needed and then continue your drive are so much worth – the risk in those situations. And I felt those decisions uh, landed on the conservative side. And I, 
you know, I, after the game, I said conservative play style for the Bengals because I do think there were some plays from the quarterback that were that lended towards being conservative and not trying to throw into coverage or near coverage or um, maybe moving within the pocket at, at, at bad times when you shouldn't have. So it was in all, I think, the two biggest decision makers of the football landed on the conservative side in this game. On the other side of the coin, the play calling generally, I thought, was pretty good. You mentioned that at the beginning. It was fine. You liked it. I thought the flea flicker was a very creative play. Getting that yeah. jet sweep action there into the wheel route, getting him on Michael Kendricks with a clear out route over top of it, that's a touchdown almost every time they call that play. There's no yeah. way in the personnel Seattle had on the field there that they're going to stop that play unless it's a drop pass. I generally thought the Bengals did what we said they had to do to win the game on offense and, and that they dictated the matchups. Andy Dalton knew where he was going with the ball before the snap on many of those plays, a few times to his detriment where he had some passes batted down. But at the same time, Ryan Coyle pointed out on Twitter, the offensive line wasn't punishing the Seattle defensive linemen for jumping up and getting their hands in passing lanes. And four of the batted passes were on screen plays that if they had gotten the pass to their intended receiver would have gone a really long way. So I thought generally they were calling the right plays at the right time. Zach Taylor knew he couldn't get the running game going. Seattle's defensive line played really well, uh, especially in the run game. And the biggest issue for the Bengals was when they got into positions where they had to just go straight drop back passing. Yeah. Straight drop and back passing game didn't work. And that's on third and longs. And when they got themselves after the holding play, actually let's talk about this call too. I hated the outside run to, to Giovanni Bernard on second and four, second and goal from the four. They get yes. the holding penalty and they're backed up. You've been terrible in the running game. Running Horrible. the ball in the red zone is asking, especially on a stretch play, for a holding penalty. And that's exactly what happened. And now you're forced to just straight drop back pass. Instead, if you go, maybe it's a play action pass there. Maybe it is a straight drop back on second down. You, you have the playbook wide open on second down, and instead you go to a straight run, and it, it put them in a bad situation. Where are the fades to Tyler Eifert in that situation? Yeah. The, the run game was non-existent. Zero. You should expect to get zero yards from this running game in this, at this point. And it's, this was the fourth quarter. So they already knew at this point you're not getting anything on the ground, and they're not getting anything from straight drop back passing. It was the misdirection. It was play action. It was guys in motion that were helping. What we expected, what we hoped would happen. So they're they're scheming around their deficiencies. They're scheming around. They knew how Seattle was playing defense. Seattle was staying out there in their base defense. Three really good linebackers to go against three wide receivers for the Bengals. They weren't buckling. They weren't getting out of that for anything. They were sticking in it and saying, you beat us with Andy Dalton and, and, and John Ross and Tyler Boyd because we don't think you can. And the Bengals almost did. Uh, so it was good by the Bengals when they did go out there and say, okay, we're going to throw the ball and we're going to throw it hard. The one credit, I also, I don't want to forget it. I don't want this to sound negative for Taylor's Taylor's first game. The credit was at the halftime when he did call that timeout as Seattle's trying to burn the clock. You could see, and they're trying to score. Uh, and you're like, and I'm saying on, on Twitter, I'm like, guys got it. Bengals have to use their timeouts. They have to now. You got to save as much time as possible. I don't feel like Marvin would have done that. In fact, I know I wrote about it last year. Marvin wouldn't have done that. So the Bengals get the ball back with enough time. What was it? Three plays down the field. Boom. Touchdown with seven seconds left. That's exactly how good teams win. You need to manage the clock like that. You need to be aggressive. You need to push the ball down the field. The Bengals did. They get a star for that on the board because uh, hopefully that's how they coach in the future where it, you got less than one minute left on the clock. That is a more than enough time to try and score. You watch Patriots Chiefs. Watch the Steelers and Patriots tonight. I bet there's a minute left on the clock. They're going to try and score no matter what the situation is. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I said on Twitter at the time, if this is like the Marvin Lewis Bengals, they're going to give up points here, give the Seattle ball back in the second half. They did end up giving up the points, but that was because Dre Kirkpatrick made a boneheaded mistake and shoved the guy after the whistle. And, I mean, okay, sure, Seattle was pushing after the whistle for much of the game. I don't know if you noticed this, Joe. In the first quarter alone, I counted three times when Seattle shoved guys after the play, after the whistle, out of bounds, didn't get called. And Dre just retaliated there, and he got caught. But you cannot do that on the road when you're in a tight game, you're in the game. That 15-yard penalty gives Seattle all the momentum and all the the headspace, I guess, that they need to take a deep shot. And that's why Seattle does those things. They're kind of bullies. They they try to you know enforce their will on you, kind of how the Steelers used to. Even the Bengals did some of that back when they were good between 11 and 15. Um, but point being for me is there is that the, the Bengals didn't have to exert their will on Seattle. I thought they did a good enough job of out-scheming them most of the time. The only time I really didn't think they did – was the running game. And the the announcers, the analysts pointed this out actually really well on TV, that Seattle started to play what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl against the Rams, which is basically putting five defensive linemen on the line and leaving Bobby Wagner as the middle guy free and open. So you're not blocking him. You're not getting a um, an offensive lineman up on the best linebacker in the league. And he was just free to tackle Mixon one-on-one. And a result, Mixon got injured on one of those tackles. Yeah, Bobby Wagner rolled up on his leg there. No ill intent, just a football play and took Mixon out of the game there. So let's talk a little bit about the offensive weapons for Cincinnati in this game. Joe Mixon didn't make a huge impact as he left early with an injury. Gio had a huge catch and run on a little dump off screen pass that went for 35 yards. But John Ross is a highlight. He was frustrating in this game. He had a couple of bad drops. He had a couple of amazing touchdown catches and went for seven catches for 158 yards and two touchdowns. And his best game as a pro, he led the Bengals in targets with 12. And that's after Tyler Boyd piled up a whole lot of targets in their first couple of drives. He finished with 11 targets, eight catches for 60 yards. And this could have been a monster game for Ross. There was a couple of drops, uh, one to start the game, first drive. There was one later that, I don't know, it wasn't, I think he'll probably be charged with two drops fully, but there was probably five catchable balls that I'd like to see him catch all of those, of course. But, you know, a couple of them were tough or difficult or contested, and they won't go down officially, but... A big game for him. I mean, honestly, without him in those big plays, the Bengals aren't even close in this game. There was third downs or or when they needed a spark, I felt, and as I'm watching it, I hope they're going to Ross because I felt like he would create something or, or something crazy would happen if you threw it to him. And it typically landed in the Bengals' favor. What are what are drops actually worth? It's an incomplete pass. A touchdown is worth a lot, obviously. And so when you look at expected points and things like that, drops barely move the needle. So we'll take the big splash plays as long as, um, you know, they outweigh the, the bad plays. And they definitely did in this game, even though it was pretty close. When you look at it, no one else was really doing anything. Tyler Boyd was a safety check down guy. Eight catches, 60 yards, 7.5 yards per catch. He was out there in two wide receiver sets. That was one of the concerns we had because they did not show that during the summer. And you could see on those, he was just running curls and hitches. And they kind of went away from him as the game wore on. I thought CJ Azama had a couple really nice plays, two off screens, one down, um, one seam up the middle where he caught a nice underthrown ball and uh, made a little bit after the catch there. But I thought like Erickson and Willis, they just, they were definitely weren't AJ Green, right? Of course they weren't. But 
they just weren't getting the separation. They just weren't creating. They weren't. They weren't a threat to the defense at all. You could see the way Seattle played, as almost to say, um, "Okay, those guys. If they, you know, you're going to put your um, your receiver on our worst corner, that's fine. We feel like we can play them one on one, even with our worst corner." And I remember talking to the Seahawks guy during crossover Wednesday, and they were concerned with that Flowers corner, and that's the one that was pretty much beaten all game. But he felt like if they were on Willis or Erickson or Farrell Cooper, whoever it was they would be okay. And I, I would say that the C- Seattle did win that matchup. Trey Flowers, that corner you're talking about, had 10 tackles. When a corner yeah. has 10 tackles, that's not a good thing at all. For the Bengals, just saying, Sam Hubbard had 10 tackles, according to ESPN. That's a lot for a defensive lineman. Yeah. I think we'll take this opportunity to transition to the defense. What do you say? Let's get there in a minute, shall we? Let's do it. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So how about that defense, Jake? Because I think they were good. I think they were more than good. I think they were very, very good. And to the point of excitement, I guess, to the point of I think you win most of those games with that defensive performance. There was maybe three plays, four plays, a couple of DK Metcalf, uh, missed tackles on the edge where Chris Carson scores, uh, the deep one to Tyler Lockett where it looked like there was an actual fundamental breakdown of, of responsibility there between the free safety and covering the crossing route. But those, that's a typical play of how you attack a, a, a deep free safety, and the Bengals lost on that one, which they you know haven't too many times in the past. So I, I didn't come away too mad at that one. I felt like that we were on the verge of a big play for Seattle happening for a while. So when that deep pass to Lockett happened, I was kind of – Okay, you know, that sometimes you win some, you lose some. But overall, I think coming out in different variations of the front line, to note Ryan Glasgow started over Andrew Billings, and I thought Glasgow flashed a few times. Billings got in there and flashed a few times. He almost had a sack, went on a really nice play. So they were rotating that defensive line. There was a time I saw Josh Tupau get in there at nose tackles, stuff a couple runs. He didn't get the tackles, but the guy had to be bounced, and 
generally, generally, they defended the run very well. The pass rush was there early and often to start the game so much that in the third and fourth quarter, I felt like it was having an effect on Russell Wilson to the point where his knees were buckling and he was dancing in the pocket a little bit more than normal because he, he tends to drift sometimes in the pocket. And because of it, uh, the Bengals got a couple errant throws out of Wilson that maybe they wouldn't have if the pressure wasn't there early in the game. I think direct comparison, this is a great time to really look at last year because of the frustration of a lot of the fan base was, where's the pass rush? Where's Atkins? Where's Dunlap? And you needed that third guy, I would say, to respond with. I would say the offense needs to sustain drives. The offense needs to put points on the board. And you can see when they do against a good team in their environment, you can see how much more alive the defensive front becomes when they have that advantage or, or those various advantages throughout the game. Yeah, I thought the front seven set the tone for the entire game. And I made the comparison to old Andy Dalton when he would just bring his eyes down and buckle his knees under pressure. There was one play in the fourth quarter that distinctly reminded me of that. Russell Wilson did make one fantastic throw when Geno Atkins got some pressure in the middle, but he had a lane to step up in, and that was when he floated it down to DK Metcalf and William Jackson. Just He got around and tried to make a play on the ball, but DK Metcalf is a physical presence, Big. and he's he's going to probably be good in that role for Seattle as a, oh, yeah. a third-round pick or second-round pick in the end. Right, um, and they're just asking him to run deep and body people out. Well, he can do that. And he did. He did it really well. I agree with you, though. The Bengals' defense generally played really well. They generally played really disciplined football. I thought there were a few times they didn't, and they were important plays. They had the blown coverage, as you mentioned, on the Tyler Lockett touchdown where Jesse Bates got sucked up by play action. And the announcers did a pretty good job of breaking this down, too. So if you were listening, you heard it. But it was a three-deep coverage, and Jesse Bates just wasn't deep. So there was literally no one in the middle of the field. And I, I, I originally thought that from the first look at it, that William Jackson just lost Lockett, maybe got beat on a double move or something, the way you saw him trying to run back into the play. But he was coming out of his zone to try yeah. to make up for it. So it wasn't on William Jackson there. Uh, William Jackson generally played pretty well. He was shadowing Lockett, as you pointed out on Twitter, for much of the game early. And that led to Lockett only having two targets, both of which he should have caught, but he had one drop. And that yeah. drop kind of kept the Bengals in the game at that point in time. I think that was one of the things also that maybe confused Seattle and contributed to their slow start. Not only was Cincinnati doing different things up front with that with the front seven, they were shadowing with William Jackson, which is something they've never really done outside of a few drives and maybe one game against the Steelers at one point. But uh, so doing that, it kind of, okay, now we can't go to Tyler Lockett, or at least they didn't feel comfortable doing it. They didn't try to scheme him open. They were just expecting, hopefully, that he would beat whoever he was across from. And I think Jackson gave him a lot of troubles until that second half where they said, okay, let's design some plays and let's get some shots to Lockett, which is smart by them. We'd, we'd ask for the same thing on our end. So, um I think overall, containing Russell Wilson, stopping the run game, and really limiting it to maybe two deep passes that one to one to Metcalf, one to Lockett. Yeah. I think if you if I handed that to you, slid that across the table in negotiations before the game and said, Jake, will you take this defensive performance? I think hands down, we would have both agreed yes. Oh yeah, I mean, two of the touchdowns the Bengals gave up came on short fields or after, in one case, a boneheaded mistake, I guess, the, the Drake or yep. Patrick penalty. One of them was on a short field and one of them was on a blown coverage. Those are the touchdowns the Bengals gave up. Outside of that, they were locked down. And you have to be very happy about that. We were a little bit worried about the Seattle offense. We were worried about the Seattle offense, Jadavion Clowney and the linebackers. Mm -hmm. I think the Bengals did a good job of minimizing Bobby Wagner's impact on the game. He's always going to be great. And he was great. 
but I think they did a pretty good job of minimizing his impact. The player that stood out the most for Seattle was Quentin Jefferson. That guy absolutely oh, ruined yeah. the Bengals. He lined up all over the defensive line for, for Seattle. He had two sacks, two tackles for a loss, got his hands on two two passes at the line of scrimmage, and had three more QB hits and, and a couple pressures there on the Bengals' last gaff drive at the end of the game. In total, Seattle had, I believe, six batted passes, as we've discussed, and four of those came on attempted screen passes. Do you have their total sacks there? The Bengals had four sacks, two by Hubbard, one for Kirkpatrick, which I did like that blitz. Yeah. They sent Webb and Kirkpatrick at the same time, really caught Wilson off guard, and then Dunlap had one in a 3-4 in a look early in the game. Yeah, I don't think it's very often that you surprise Russell Westbrook, but the Bengals did that a lot today. And a lot of that's because there wasn't film on him out there, but they were, as you said on Twitter, they were multiple. As you said earlier in the podcast, they lined up in a variety of defensive fronts in base and in nickel, and I thought it was really nice to see. Uh, Seattle ended up with four total sacks on the day, Hmm. and I think one of them was Andy Dalton running out of bounds. Jadavion Clowney chased him down. And I suppose, as Joe pointed out to me, that both of Andy Dalton's fumbles, which one of them could have been an interception, the other one was clearly an incomplete pass and a terrible call, but both of those are going to count as sacks as well. Yeah, they definitely are, and that's just how the stats work sometimes, even though the one, he just kind of chucked it in the air. Actually, you said in the opening that you've never seen Dalton do that. He did that his rookie year in Seattle. Do you remember that one where he faked this, like he pumped the screen and ended up throwing the ball behind him? I do. Well, I was, and, and I was, was going to say, I'll show you that replay if you don't remember. Didn't they somehow call that an incomplete pass too? I don't remember what that was called. I felt like that was a fumble in my memory, but yeah, I don't remember how that ended up going. I have in my mind right now that there was some play that happened in Bengals history where the ball went backwards, clearly, and it was somehow called an incomplete pass. Well, we Maybe talked about that the, one. the defense here. Was, we got a few more minutes. Um, I thought Kevin Huber had a great game. I thought the returning was spotty. They never got a chance to kick return. But how did you overall high-level feel Andy Dalton did and the quarterback position did? I think he was pretty good. I think he got, for the most part, what he wanted to get from the Seattle defense and knew where to go with the ball. He didn't make any real mental errors, in my opinion, except maybe that pass Tyler Boyd slipped down on. And you talked about, Joe, this is a play that the Rams ran last year quite a bit. That throw should have been deeper down the field, up the sideline, which is where Boyd was running. And instead, the pass goes inside and Boyd tries to react to it and ends up slipping on the play. He still could have caught the ball if he had kept his footing. I think the field was wet at that point. Uh, But he ends up falling because the pass doesn't go where he expects it to. Yeah, I argued with a few people on Twitter about that. But yes, Boyd could have caught the ball had he not slipped. That wasn't my argument. But they were were in the range. You're in the shot range. Anything between like 35 and 45 um, going on the other side of the field is a shot to take a deep ball down the field or a trick play, if you will. And the Bengals did it earlier in the game on the wheel route to Ross off of a flea flicker. This is where they take their shots. Every team does. So what you have here is basically Boyd's going to come across from the left side and run. It's like an inverse wheel route because instead of doing it towards the sideline, you're actually doing it to the middle of the field and then up the sideline. So the idea there is that you, um, the, the linebacker and the safety that's deep is going to take the deep guy because he thinks Boyd's just running a crossing route, leaving that third of the field wide open for him. And I think Dalton saw that safety because there's a guy in the flats. I don't remember if it's a tight end or running back to the right. 
it's not a safety, it's a corner. I think Dalton saw that corner that's in that third coverage come down on that running back, but then start drifting back as he sees Boyd running into his area. And you got to trust to throw it. That's your spot. You got to throw it 30 yards down the field at least. And Dalton tried to lean it inside. And I've talked about this before throwing to the most open area. A lot of times you'll throw receivers open if you get it to that spot. Receivers got to be on the same page. Dalton did it there, but I think that was a conservative decision and conservative throw because you've got to throw it downfield. Let your, let Boyd run down underneath it. If he doesn't have to turn and twist his body around, he doesn't ever slip. He probably runs right underneath it. It's, I think it's a touchdown missed opportunity. I don't fault him too much for that throw because like you said, he was throwing it to the open spot. And if Boyd manages to keep his feet, he might be gone there anyway. It's not like it's that different uh, where Dalton ended up putting the ball. And it's, in Dalton's mind, I think it ends up falling incomplete because Boyd loses his footing. I think it's a higher percentage throw. It, yeah. it requires less precision. And I think if Dalton tries to put that out toward the sideline, knowing where his strengths are in his game, he might put it too far out over the sideline and end up I carrying agree. Boyd out of bounds. I think that's exactly why he did it. You know, he, he leaned on, well, I'm not comfortable making that throw. If you watch tape, you'll see that a few times where Dalton will say, yeah, I don't know if I can make that stick throw down towards the sideline. I'll take this seven-yard throw underneath, which is fine because the offense typically, when he's on, can move the ball. And I thought the way the the production they got today, the play they got today out of, out of Andy Dalton, you win probably 65% of your games, if not a little bit more than that. So that was good enough. I thought defense was good enough. I think it was just circumstantial and situational football that lost this one ultimately. Yeah, the we've talked about it. We we've said it ad nauseum. The missed field goal, the fumble on the punt from Erickson, the ball that squirts out of Dalton's hand, and that one was especially painful because that's literally three points that they cough up and they lose the game by one. Seattle, of course, could have the game would have been totally different had that not happened. But yeah, big plays, turnovers. You don't win games when you turn the ball over that many times. The Bengals dominated, but lost the turnover battle, and that's how what was the worst team today ended up winning the game we'll get into that more this week we'll have all 22 available to us for the first time this season in just a couple days so we'll get to look at some of these plays that we're questioning down in the red zone and some of the decisions Dalton made in a little bit more detail but until then Bengals fans this is your game recap from Lockdown Bengals until next time have a good one hey prime members you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.